Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to this week's edition of the TSN MMA Show interview edition. And we've got guests on guests on guests in the lead up to UFC 259 this coming weekend. Three championships on the line. We've got five divisional champions competing. I guess Amanda Nunes is two divisions, so I'm, I'm factoring that in. But be that as it may, we've got a lot of fantastic fights ahead of us. For UFC 259 and myself and Bazooka, Joe Valtellini will break that down tomorrow in our regular standard edition of the TSN MMA show. Uh, very excited for you to check that out because we've got so much to talk about and so much uh, fun to be had in breaking down high, high-level mixed martial arts. But let's uh, get to our guests for this week. We've got two champions, a former champion and a former championship contender on multiple occasions. We'll start off with Joseph Benavidez, who is uh, coming back to face Askar Askarov in his return fight since uh, two fights against Davis and Figueredo in 2020. Now he is the underdog in a fight against Askar Askarov uh, towards the tail end of his career. I wanted to find out exactly why now was the right time to come back after two very devastating losses in uh, 2020. Always love talking to Joe. He's one of my favorite people to, to hang out with, you know, just outside of this uh, professional environment in the sport. I, him and I backstage like to chop it up uh, along with his wife Megan Olivi whenever we get the opportunity so it was nice to uh, talk MMA with Joe because most of the time we're not talking MMA and I guess you'll see our conversation kind of veer off into other avenues as it goes on. We'll also speak to uh, an individual who Joseph Benavidez fought for the WEC Bantamweight Championship and uh, if you have not yet guessed who I'm talking about it is Dominic Cruz uh, one of really the only people to be the Bantamweight Champion in the WEC uh, he will join us to talk about his upcoming bout against Casey Kenny. He's an underdog as well. Him and uh, Joseph Benavidez. If you do a WEC parlay, both those guys underdogs, if you, uh, you want to be nostalgic when looking at these fights. So looking forward to uh, talking with the Dominator, who I just love picking his brain as well. He's just one of the really cerebral individuals involved in mixed martial arts, and that's why I always like picking his brain. And while we're on the topic of bantamweight title challengers, let's go to another one. Aljamain Sterling, who will be challenging for the bantamweight championship against the current champion, Piotr Jan. Uh, I'm uh, very high on both these guys. I think they're two of the best in the division, if not the two best in the division. Of course, matchups make fights, and I think that uh, Sandhagen versus Piotr Jan is a great matchup as well. Although we saw what happened when uh, Aljo fought Sanhagen, not to, not, not to say that that wouldn't happen again, but who knows what would happen in a rematch. But uh, very eager to speak with the funk master himself, Aljamain Sterling, who will be challenging for the title. And we'll wrap it up with the GOAT, the greatest female combat sports athlete in our life on planet Earth, the lioness Amanda Nunes, will be joining us to talk about her second featherweight title defense against Megan Anderson. I think she's the biggest right now as we record this. She is the biggest favorite of any champion, I believe, in UFC history. It's around a 13-to-1 favorite against Megan Anderson, which is a, a pretty large number. But uh, we know what we're getting with Amanda Nunes. It's not going to be an easy out. So uh, that's who we have on the TSN MMA Show interview edition. 
But uh, we, I'm also likely getting time with Dana White later this week, so you'll hear some uh, some of that potentially later in the week. I might upload that as an in the you know standalone podcast. And as I mentioned, myself and uh, Joseph Valtolini will be talking about UFC 259 as well as recapping Rosenstrike versus Cyril Gan, the main event of uh, this past weekend, and all kinds of other stories in the uh, world of mixed martial arts. And of course, the story with Hamza Shemaev, which has been a bit of a yo-yo. Uh, you know, is he retired? Is he not retired? You've got uh, uh, Chechen dictators saying that he's uh, going to continue fighting. You've got, uh, of course, UFC President Dana White says he's spoken to him and that, you know, Hamzat's a little bit frustrated and that's why he posted that perhaps he was stepping away from the game, but it looks like he will attempt to resume his career. I mean, they're, they're saying June, but how do they know? Oh, yeah, that, that's one, one thing I'm really curious about. How do they know June is uh, like a, a good target date? I mean, you can always book him for June, but with what's happening with him right now. I mean, it seems like a very touch-and-go situation. But uh, we'll we'll touch on that again on tomorrow's podcast. For now, let's get to our guests. We'll start with the Lioness, the two-division champion, the greatest of all time, Amanda Nunes, followed by Aljamain Sterling, Dominic Cruz, and Joseph Benavidez. This is the TSN MMA Show interview edition, and it starts now. I'm now joined by Amanda and Reagan Nunez, the newest addition to the uh, Ansarov Nunez family. Five months old? How's being a mother? Looks like a lot of fun. It's a very cute child. Yeah, very fun. I'm very happy. Definitely, Reagan's a, is a blessing, baby. You know, keeping me motivated more and more. She's amazing. <laughs> What's your favorite part about being a mom? Uh, be a part of everything, you know? Like, see... Like the first time she she look at her hand, she like interesting about everything. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Like, come on. <laughs> so, um, actually, like everything about being a mother, honestly, like I cannot say only one thing is making me like so happy. It was the best decision that I ever made. Um, I feel like, honestly, like everything, be a part of this moment, you know, be raised a, a baby, like a little human. It's like, it's, a, it's amazing. Just like, I be enjoy every single day, you know, me and Nina fight all the time to have her in the arm. <laughs> now here's the big question. How does she sleep? Because Nina's got a fight coming up in April. You've got a fight, obviously, coming up uh, this weekend. <laughs> How's the sleep situation? Actually, we sleep pretty well. She's a good baby. She's, like, sleeping the whole night. I feel like everything we want was, like, a good baby. I think, like, the universe listened to me, you know? So, like, at least, like, we can sleep. Maybe uh, we, we can train. She can go to the gym. She can... Watch eyes, that was gonna be pretty good. But everybody always tell us like, oh, no, you're not gonna sleep, it's gonna be pretty tough. And don't expect that. So like, my experience with Reagan is completely different with a lot of people told me. He's like, she's a very happy baby. I take her to the gym every day with me. She sit down, we put her in a in car seat. She stay there like, like, didn't even have a baby in there. <laughs> She's a pretty good baby. 
Well, you're certainly very blessed. It uh, looks like she's uh, very happy, just like you are, always smiling, which is nice to see. Uh, you mentioned that it gives you more motivation than ever, having a child. Uh, can you go into that a little bit further? You know, I, I feel like when it's a step in my life, you know, uh, all the time, you know, like, what what is next? What is going to keep me, like, moving forward in this course, like, break records and and have the belt, of course, at home with me. So, but this time is, is different, you know? This time I'm gonna be able to share with my daughter, you know? Uh, they, they see my hand being raised. Uh, March 6th is gonna be something that I, that I wanna like, it's gonna be the first time she's gonna be there. And so I wanna, I wanna dedicate it for her. So, and uh, like, it's, it's just a new, it's just a new moment in my life. And I'm like, I'm like pretty excited and make me very happy because that make me like motivate me because when I train happy is is one of the best like camps that I have. So Reagan bringing me that happiness that I that I even like explain it to people sometimes. So it's just she like smile. She's like she play with eyes. She's just a baby, but she have like a very strong and a very like like happy personality. So every time I w- w- wake in the morning, she look at me with that beautiful smile, like making me, uh, charge me for the rest of the day. Every day is being like that. So yeah, that is, that is the, 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 the motivator that I, that I need to be happy to doing, keep doing this thing, you know? If you're not happy, sometimes like nothing work, you know? You get frustrated, you like, you don't have a good day. But if I wake up happy, like she making me be happy and and I'm grateful like the whole day, you know, and she she with me all the time. So she make me happy every second. <laughs> so that is like, that's why I always say like she keep me motivated because she bring the, the happiness that I need to make explain to people. So has it renewed your sense of purpose? Because as a champion, a dominant champion like yourself, it must be hard to get out of bed for fights that might be, seem boring to you because you've, you've beaten so many really difficult opponents, the best of the best that the women's divisions uh, have to offer. So now that you have Reagan in your life, do you feel like kind of a renewed sense of purpose uh, in that regard? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now it's like instead that I packed two bags, now I have an extra more, you know, that is making me like excited to organize her, her clothes, you know, put the things she needed, you know. So that is like even starting home you now it's different here so and fight wiki travel with it it's gonna be everything different so that that bring that that excitement back you know so like these little girls are like amazing you know i don't know how how uh well how i, I can explain to people only if you like go through I, i'm pretty sure you're going through you know what i'm what I'm really going through in my life right now and give me power, you know, because I'm so happy, so happy. And I want to share with her that March 6th, I want to share that moment with my daughter. So that is going to be another, like, another huge moment for me. And I break history, you know, I'm going to bring my baby in the cage. So it's another history that I make, you know, like, it's like, it's going to be amazing. 
Now, the one big difference with this opponent, I've stood next to Megan Anderson before. She's really tall. She's six feet tall. I think the tallest opponent you've had previous to this would be Jermaine Durandame, who's around your height. She's about five foot nine. So what have you done in training to adjust to that, to adjust to fighting somebody who's uh, so much taller than uh, any opponent you've had previously? Training with a training partner have the same size, you know, the same, the same uh, um, height. So that really prepared me for her. Is it, are they mostly male training partners then at six feet tall? Because it's hard to find women that are that tall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it have to be a guy because it's very hard to find a girl like that. So what advantages do you feel like you'll have as the shorter uh, fighter? You know, it's, you're going to be having to reach up. You've, you've got a lot uh, more to grab onto if you're going for grappling. Do you feel like having a taller opponent is actually more of an advantage than a disadvantage? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be fast, you know. And I don't think she's gonna be able to 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 see when I'm when I'm I'm gonna do something. You know, I feel like uh, sometimes being too too big is not is not really is a good advantage. Oh, might can be, you know. But I feel like I'm gonna be fast, and she's not gonna be able to keep up. As I mentioned before, you've beaten the best of the best. You've beaten the champion at 125. Uh, you beat the champion at 145 uh, when they were the champion. Uh, and, of course, you've beaten all the champions previous to you at 135 pounds. Do you have any other opponents that you still haven't fought that you'd like to fight sometime in the future? You know, I'm pretty sure I'm going to hang wide here. You know, I'm going I'm to stay here for wide. Whatever. I feel like I'm the champion. I, I cannot beat it like an opponent right now. So who who is gonna be lined up for to be to be the next? I'm gonna I'm gonna be there. So only depend of of them, you know. Well, there haven't been there aren't a lot of fresh opponents really at 135 pounds. Uh, we saw Ketlin Vieira lose this past weekend. Uh, Yana Kuniskaya is moving up. Uh, Juliana Pena called you out, although she just lost to Jermaine Durandame, who you've beaten before. It didn't seem like you took Juliana Pena's call out all that seriously. Yeah, like like she's like. Another level, <laughs> but well, it is what it is. Everybody wanna the opportunity, you know. I uh, I think she's right, you know. If she wanna fight me, she have to make noises, and now she have fight coming up. So let's see how it goes, and yeah, if you have to see her in the future, we're gonna see each other and don't have any problem about that. Who's she? Who's she facing in the future? I don't know if I saw a fight announcement for her. Holly, thank you, Holly. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I saw that. So that's, uh, that, that's good news because that'll probably determine your next challenge at 135 pounds. Um, yeah. Is that what you're looking to do next after this title defense? You're looking to go back to 35? Yep. Then I go back for sure. All right, Amanda. Well, it's a pleasure speaking with you. It was nice to meet, meet Reagan for the first time. Uh, you're very Thank blessed. You. And uh, congratulations. Best of luck this weekend against Megan Anderson. Thank you. Joining me from Las Vegas, Nevada, he is going for the Men's Bantamweight Championship of the World. He is Aljamain Sterling. Aljo, you're in Las Vegas. Uh, how early did you get there? Um, I live here. I have a house here. So, I've so been you've been here, here for a while, Jack. is what you're telling me. I thought you were based in New York. When did you move to Vegas? I bought a house last year, August, after my fight with San Hagen and uh, after Marab's fight. All right. Well, I apologize for not knowing that. But uh, So where have you been doing most of your training? At, uh, at Extreme or Syndicate? Uh, mostly at extreme. It's just a little easier for me to get there, and um, the t and the the training schedule um, a little easier. 
it just works better with how I train for back home. So I split my time here. I got I got back out here in February, started my camp out in Long Island, and came out here. What made you decide to buy a place in Las Vegas? Uh, there's a couple of factors: financials, good weather, um, fight mecca, and having access to the UFC PI, the uh, strength and conditioning coaches. Them just being able to take more off my plate and doing me having to do a less of the the thinking work, the dummy work, I guess we call it. Well, I know you dabble in a lot of real estate. So did you look into, I guess, this particular market before you moved here? A little bit. I actually wanted to move out here in 2016. No, actually 2017, I wanted to move out here. It never happened. But then uh, bought my first house in Long Island, 2018. And then from there, bought my mom's house, 2019. And... Got my next house here in 2020. So, are, you, yeah. are you still fighting and flipping with Ally Akinta? That's what you've told me in previous interviews. That's what you like to call it, fighting and flipping. Fighting and flipping, yeah. Uh, we haven't done anything. Um, that never really took – it never really materialized the way I thought it was going to. But um, we both do real estate. Al does more of the hands-on work with um, showing people houses and stuff like that. And for me, it's more like referral work. And any of my friends that I know, if they want to buy a house, then I would personally take them out and that that type of thing. Other than that, I, I just I just train too much to be able to have the time to do that every day. Yeah, I'd imagine if somebody calls and says, we've got an open house we'd like to go to at 2 o'clock, and you've got training at 2 o'clock. I think the training probably takes uh, precedence over that. Uh, <laughs> so when it comes to your corner this weekend, who's going to be in your corner? I got Longo. I got Eric Nixick out here, one of the coaches at Extreme Couture. And um, I got two of my training partners, Delemi and Dennis. They're going to be in the corner as well. Um, it's just a little different with the quarantine times in terms of training, cutting weight. I need bodies I can work out with, people that can help be like my punching bag. Whoever's helping the corner, we know like you're the punching bag for the week for the person to lose weight with. So uh, I got two bodies for me to use and interchange that with and more my size. I don't really hit pads like that too often. So this is more practical for me, and I feel a lot more comfortable doing this. I've been doing it for years at this point, and uh, those are going to be my four guys. Well, that's a pretty elite corner when you have Coach Longo and Coach Nixick, both phenomenal coaches. Uh, when you look at Piotr Jan, I think the biggest knock on him right now is his resume, who he's beaten to become the champion of the bantamweight division. If you were to compare yourself to his previous opponents, who do you think is the next best guy he's fought, and how much better do you think you are than that guy? Oh, the next best guy he fought, I, I would imagine Jose Aldo. And that's based off his accolades in terms of what he's done in the division thus far. Not, he hasn't done very much, but uh, that's who I would compare it to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little different. And the other thing with that, they were former training partners, so things are a little different. Don Alejandro oh. just walked in, fighting and flipping. <laughs> So you believe at this stage in the game that you're a much better fighter than Jose Aldo when it comes to the bantamweight division. You have many more accolades, and you're probably going to bring a different look to Jan that he hasn't seen before. I think so. I would imagine that. I think uh, Aldo's good, but uh, for sure he's still a legend, still got some fight left in the, in the gas tank. But I think it's just a little different in terms of uh, my style, my pace, his cardio, his gas tank. I think he fades a lot more. Uh, we've seen it with him in the past, and I think him cutting down to 35 – has made things very different for him. And um, like I say, he's, he's a 
he's a cowboy, man. He, he He's a gunslinger when he's out there in the pocket. He has a missile for a right hand. He goes to the body a lot with that, that liver shot. Uh, it was a good fight between the two guys, but I think they had one thing missing, which was the wrestling. They just stood in front of each other and exchanged punches and kicks. Do you feel like Jan's wrestling might be underrated? We haven't really seen a ton of it, but he hasn't had a lot of problems keeping the fight on the feet when he has been uh, challenged in that realm. Yeah, I think it's um, I think he's good on the feet, man. I think defensively he's going to be tough to take down, but I think my pressure is just the difference. I think me just keeping the constant pressure on him and not giving him any space to breathe, it's going to be hard to really get off with your strikes when you're constantly dropping your hands from underhooks and pummeling and doing all those things and level changing and it's it's just a different fight. Um, you look at any of his other fights, none of those fights were like that. The one fight he had against the Korean guy, I think Jin Soo Sun took him down, I think, three times in that fight. One of the times he held him down for a pretty extensive – for about a minute until he made one mistake on the top where he got um, reverse. He had like one hook in, shallow hook, and it wasn't done the, the right way, and Jan was able to, to slip his right arm through and, and end up back on top. So I think that's the difference, man. He, he, he's fighting a different level of grappler. Um I said before, man, there's black belts and then there's black belts, you know. So that with my wrestling, my ground and pound, I think he's going to have a lot of trouble, especially with my cardio. You've got your Vayner Sports shirt on. Another individual represented by Vayner Sports is Corey Sanhagen, your last opponent. Uh, when you look at what he's done since then, do you almost feel like you're entering this fight as the champion? You, you've beaten the guy that I think has really established himself as a top guy in this division, and you did it with relative ease. Yeah, I, for me, that fight was for the belt. You know, uh, that's the way I looked at that fight. And um, I think he would have agreed to that as well. We were the highest ranked guys. And we had, we fought the only guys, we were the only guys to fight people in the top five. You know, Jan never did that. And he was granted a title shot. So at the end of the day, it is what it is. The fight's here. We're going to figure out who is who. But I think that fight between San Hagen and I was for the uncrowned champ. And, um, I think the people know. They know the body of work, the ones that really follow the sport. And uh, now we get the opportunity to kind of solidify that um, Pideon could bring his interim title to the to the octagon. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you think. Uh, when you look uh, at the division, let's say you win this fight. You're going to win this fight in your mind, of course. They come to you. You call you into a meeting and say, Aljamain, great performance. You're the champ. We have two options for you. We got TJ Dillashaw. Never dropped the title officially. Never lost anybody. Uh, of course, he was suspended and lost the belt in that way. And we've got Corey Sanhagen, who you've beaten before. But look at those last two performances. You can't really deny this guy. Which of these guys do you think is more worthy of a title shot? Um, more worthy? As of right now, I I would say Sanhagen. But then you have Rob Font, who's coming up, just beat Marlon. But Sanhagen just beat Marlon. Uh you got Jan. That top, that top 10 is so interchangeable. It's like these pieces of the puzzle can fit any which way you want them to, to, to go. I, I would think if – I think Jan – not Jan. I think TJ and Sanhagen should fight. I think that would be the number one contender fight right there and then go from there to keep the division moving. Or even one of those guys fight a Cody Garbrandt. So I, I, I would think that's the fight that should be made. Yeah, certainly an interesting look. Do you feel like you need to beat TJ to establish yourself as the champion? Uh, you know, again, the, this is someone who's never lost the belt. Uh, I think him and, you know, the two of you match up in a very interesting way because of his wrestling, his stand-up, and your stand-up, and your wrestling, and how you've really evolved uh, the wrestling in this division. Do you feel like you need that notch on your belt? 
No, I don't. <laughs> I think uh, TJ's been cheating for years. He finally got caught. And uh, all his all his wins on that run to the title for me were all tainted, you know. So um, this was the one time he got popped and got caught for what he did. And uh, the, I think the real people know, the people who are around the, the sport know, this MMA community is so small. People talk so much. And uh, this has been known knowledge that TJ's been cheating for years. So... To me, yeah, he, he looked great. People are going to say, well, that didn't help him throw the combination. Yeah, it's bullshit. But um, if you're in a sport, you know. you know. So uh, I don't feel like I need to fight TJ to solidify anything. Uh, if he wins, then yes. But um, we'll see what happens. What are your plans? Uh, again, if you win the belt, you go back to your residence in Vegas that I just found out about. You go to sleep, wake up in the morning. What do you want to do as champion? It's your first day. You're the the undisputed bantamweight champion of the of the world. Give me your ideal day. My ideal day after fighting and winning would be for sure waking up in the morning, starting the day with a nice tequila, pineapple, something like that. Um, maybe go out to the strip, walk around a little bit. Uh, if not that. I don't know. We'll see how I got to see how beat up I am. You know, that's that's really what things are about. And uh, maybe hit a nice restaurant, get some good food. I'm a simple man. I don't ask for much. You know, give me my my tequila, and I'm a, I'm a good man. I'm a good happy man. Do you have a brand of choice? Uh I drink. I dabble with a bunch of different stuff. I, I like the rock stuff. Terramana tried that. Um, I like Don Julio. 1800 is good, and Casablanco, the white and blue bottle, that's a really good one. All right. Well, you have Joseph Benavidez on the same card as you. If you uh, need any sort of re restaurant recommendations, he really prides himself in being able to point people in the right direction in Las Vegas. So I, I recommend you have a chat with him backstage if you, if you catch him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or when you train with him next week, because he trains at Extreme Couture. So I'm sure you see Joe B a lot. Yeah, we see each other a lot at the gym. We do. All right, Aljo. Well, best of luck to you against Piotr Jan. Really appreciate your time. Uh, I also would recommend that people watch uh, the feature that the UFC did on you on, on YouTube. It's really phenomenal. Get to learn a lot about your background, a lot of what you've overcome in life. Uh, and, you know, really kudos to you for being able to uh, use something that was going wrong in your life and, and channel strength from it to become uh, a future champion. And I appreciate your time. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. I'm now joined by the greatest bantamweight in the history of mixed martial arts, Dominic Cruz, who is uh, not going to be sitting cage side calling the fights, but actually in the cage this time around against Casey Kenny. The weird thing about your fight with Casey Kenny is I looked at the odds and there's a plus sign beside your name, which means you're the underdog. Why do people think Casey Kenny's going to beat you? Probably the layoff. Um, I'm on a two, I've lost a fight, my last two fights, which were title fights. And so, um, for whatever reason, that's, you know, given people that assumption. This is kind of a step down from the level of competition you faced probably over the last five years. I'd say since the Mizugaki fight, you haven't really fought anybody that's ranked this low. Um, does that give you any sort of added uh, ambition for this fight, any sort of added incentive to win this fight? You know, when you're an analyst the way I am, 
you know that anybody in the top 15 is within a year of being a champion. Three fights, three or four fights tops is all you need to do to win. He's already on a three-fight winning streak. So if he wins three more fights in the next year, he's entitled contention. So I don't really, uh, as somebody who's been through the line and, and done what I've done, I mean, I, at one point in the sport, I cleaned out the division. I faced um, guys that were ranked 15, and within a year, they're ranked number two. So um, there's no added motivation towards what the world sees these fighters as, because I know what each one of them is. Now, I know Piotr Jan is the champion, but in your opinion, outside of yourself, who is the best bantamweight in the UFC right now? Um, I always just say the champion. You know, Aljamain Sterling is next up. You can honestly say that. Like, when you look at the bantamweight division, the number one and the number two guys are looking the best in the division. But obviously, you got to look at Sandhagen, too. He's uh, very on point right now, and he's very determined, and he's got a chip on his shoulder. Does he remind me a lot? Sorry, remind you rather a lot of yourself, Sandhagen? Um, not really, to be honest. He's much different than me in his approach to, um, and like he's he's analytical, but uh, much different than me. Uh, he I come from a wrestling background. He comes from a jujitsu striking background. In terms of uh, your footwork, it's always been off the charts. I think that if you look at footwork in, in the history of MMA, yours is number one. Who's number two? Who do you think has the second best footwork in mixed martial arts right now? I'd say Demetrius Johnson. I fought him and um, when I fought him, I could feel uh, the movement was something that I needed to adjust to when in that fight. So just from my experience I would, uh, of competing against him, I would say him. Do you like? Do you feel like people don't uh, not work? Sorry. Do you feel like people don't work on footwork enough? No, I wouldn't say that. Um, as I've watched myself and me be known for my footwork throughout the sport, I think that you know there was a time in the sport early on where the WEC was the UFC, just nobody knew it, and nobody was switching stance, and it was basically said by a lot of people that it was wrong. Nobody was going from uh, conventional to southpaw and then uh, hitting pivots in and out. None of that stuff was seen. As I became champion, I saw a ton of people, not just in the Bantamweight division, but the Flyweight division, start to implement it. And when that happened, uh, you started seeing other people in mixed martial arts <clears throat> excuse me, implement it as well. But when you watch K1 or you watch high-level boxing, they were using a lot of this stuff with the stuff with the footwork that I was using. So I learned it from the greats. I learned it from the Muhammad Ali's. I learned it from some of the best boxers in the world, some of the best kickboxers boxers in the world. Um, Israel Adesanya doesn't show it a lot, but his footwork is very good. He just doesn't, his style doesn't necessarily use it as much as he could if he wanted to, but it's there. Uh, the high-level K1 kickboxers all have that footwork. Well, not all, but a lot of them. And... Same with the uh, tons of boxers as well. MMA is still really in its embryonic stage in terms of being a sport. And you were in really the, 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 early, the earliest possible part of the lighter weight classes when you were the champion of the WEC. What has changed the most from when you were the WEC champion to now in terms of the evolution of MMA? Definitely the stance switching. Uh, the stance switching and the footwork. Like we were just talking about, I've watched that evolutionize the sport completely. 
when you start adding those things to the sport, it changes uh, takedown sequences. It makes them harder to take people down. It changes uh, the grappling because the fight starts standing. So when you're able to give different looks on your feet, um, it changes how often grappling can be used as well. So it's really, that's the baseline that I would say that's changed uh, martial arts uh, on top of kicking. Early on, there wasn't a ton of kickers in the sport. And now if you can't kick, you're left behind in the sport. You've scouted basically every fighter that you've had to call a fight for. Casey Kenny's among them. How much do you remember it? You know, like if you, if you look back at your Casey Kenny notes and watch any of his previous fights, do you have to go back kind of into your brain and, and recall what he's like because you have so many other fighters just kind of taking up that database space? It's a good question, actually. Uh, being an analyst can sometimes be, you know, counterproductive because you, over, you can overthink and you can... Uh, get into analyzation instead of just being in the moment. So for me, the key is being uh, conscious of what I can create, what I do, and being in the moment for myself and not worried about what they're doing. Uh, I prepared in the camp for, since my last fight, it's been six months nonstop. I never took a break because I felt the gap from the injuries that I had that I needed rounds on rounds on rounds. And in those rounds, uh, I've done the work necessary to make the adjustments for everybody in the division. Casey Kenny is the next guy that he's a Southpaw. I've got other Southpaws in the division. He's got, he's a very well-rounded fighter with wrestling, uh, jiu-jitsu. He's a black belt in judo. And, um, you know, he's got power in his hands and his kicks. So as, as that type of fighter, you know, 10 years ago, he was a contender, this, the style that he fights. Now he's top 15. So it's like, this is the next, this is the next wave. Everybody's got tools in the gym. Everybody's got training partners now. Uh, when I was competing early, you know, you had to really search out for training partners. Now you can go to ATT and find 30 guys that have all different looks. You can go all over the world to gyms and they've got black belts teaching classes. They've got wrestling classes. They've got kickboxing classes. They've got boxing classes. Uh, none of that stuff really existed early on. So everybody's well-rounded now. And um, you just got to worry about what you can do and focus on being in the moment and knowing that with all these tools that you practiced over the, in your camp, just have trust and faith in your abilities that you're going to adapt on that night. Because if you're sitting there trying to analyze, then you're not going to be in the moment. So that's the key is just um, being, being me in that, in that evening and, and letting go of all the analyzation really. You know, Neil Magny said something very interesting to me a couple of weeks ago uh, prior to his fight with Michael Chiesa. He said that during his time away from the sport, he had an issue with USADA that eventually got sorted out. Um, he said the best thing about that was that he could focus on himself rather than focus on an opponent. How important was that for you in the four or five years that you've been unable to compete due to injuries? Yeah, it's been, well, I mean, in the four or five years of uh, being injured, I also was able to create, um, create, knowledge for fans and and to really show people how great these athletes are in the sport that i love so much the sport gave so much to me and uh, so many opportunities so when i move into that analyzation spot i'm not doing it uh, just for me i'm part of of we so if i just did if i'm just up there talking for myself then the fighters are not included. But if I'm talking for the fighters, I'm included in that. And it's a we type of notion. And by being able to support them 
by letting the world know the, the little nuances, the little adjustments that they make, how much cardio they have to have to do these things, uh, how difficult it is to be in some of the monotonous positions that the fans might think are boring, but they don't know how much energy they actually take and how much uh, you know, grit it takes to get through those monotonous positions. So those are the things that I, I like to support it as an analyst. In, um, and I'm part of that. So, uh, you know, I'm fighting for myself, but I'm also, you know, doing this as an analyst for the fighters. It, it's in service to the sport and to the fighters. So from, for me, you know, just staying focused on me during this time and shutting off the analyst portion has been like very rewarding. It's, it's, uh, it's nice to just, to just not have to think about all these other guys. It's like shutting off an encyclopedia and just being able to uh, be clear one, one sided. And it becomes easy to be honest. It becomes a lot easier to do that when I've had all the other stuff going on while I'm focused on me at the same time. I've got one final question for you and it's a philosophical one. You spoke to Ariel Hawani, I believe it was last week. And you said that what happens in the cage is the truth. But then you look back at your previous fight with what happened with Cejudo and with Keith Peterson and all of those different things. Is that the truth on just one night or is that the truth, period? I'm curious about how you, you, know, how you can triangulate that in your that's brain. That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's truths to certain parts of that fight, okay? I shouldn't have put myself in the position to where I ate the kick. So that's the truth. The other part of the truth is that the referee gets to take responsibility for the things that he did not do, which was his job, in my opinion, on the clarity before. Let, I, there was one second left on the clock, and as a referee, they tell you in the back, if you're, if you're improving your position and you're working up, then you know, you're doing what's necessary for me to not stop the fight. I was doing these things. So it comes to two people need to realize the truth. I need to realize that I shouldn't have put myself in the position to eat that kick and be rocked and uh, make the adjustment, which I've done in this six-month camp. And I would say that, you know, there's some responsibility. I can't make anybody take responsibility, but on the referee's part, where he can realize, yeah, there was one second left. This man was improving his position. And according to the rule sets that we say in the back before the fight happens, he was following those rules, improving his position, working to his feet. Um, and so... You know, if one person's taking responsibility and the other isn't, it is what it is. But they're both truths. And I learned from it. The question is always, can you learn if you don't take responsibility? Uh, so if he did or if he didn't, I'm not sure. If he learned or if he didn't from that moment, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't hate Keith Peterson. I don't. It's just a matter of responsibility and making adjustments. Um, but what I love about fighting is that, that, that it is the truth, you know, um, what I mean by that is all your preparation, everything that comes to fruition comes on that night. And there's, there's nothing that anybody can really say or do because everybody's going to have their interpretation of what they watch. And that becomes their truth. Uh, you look at somebody like Paula Costa saying, I shouldn't have had a bottle of wine before the fight for him. His truth is that. That doesn't make him wrong, but a lot of people are going to have an interpretation of something different. So truth can all be skewed, but at the same time, in the fight, winning and losing 
kind of creates a baseline and it's it's just win or lose that at the end of the day the judges decide and that's it that's the end of the conversation because um that's what goes on the record and for that that kind of creates some sort of peace for me because there's nobody that can you know there's no way to really change that it, it, when i went when i won and i won split decisions you know everybody can argue this and that but in the end i won so so that's it there's something nice about that um but yes again there's a lot of different things you got to look at when you were talking about judging systems when we're talking about referees and the other portion of what makes a winner and a loser there's a lot of responsibility involved in a lot of different dynamics with the judging and the um referees that that also adds to it does it not well so in summation basically the truth is that Cejudo won the fight against you. You won the fight against T.J. Dillashaw. And there are a lot of little truths that make you question whether the truth is false. There's a lot of um, intangibles that you can... Well, in the end, I lost the fight to, to Henry because that's what, the, that's what the record shows. However, what are you going to do? You can't do anything about it. I mean, that, that, that's the truth, right? So what, where's, the, where's the question, actually? I beat TJ Dillshaw. Where's the question? Right. The question is who's going to take responsibility. <laughs> I like that. I like that answer. That's that's good stuff, Don. That's why I love speaking to you. I can always pick your brain on uh, on these kind of overarching philosophical parts of the sport that uh, I always think about in the back of my head. Well, thank you for this. Appreciate it. Best of luck against Casey Kenny this weekend. Thank you. I'm now joined by Joseph Benavidez, who will be facing Askar Askar. No, Askar Askarov. Askar Askar is a different guy. Yeah. It's very confusing, but uh, Askar Askarov in the, in the flyweight division, you're the number two-ranked guy. He's the number three-ranked guy. Um, how many fights do you think you have left after this, Joe? I mean, obviously, last year was, was not uh, an easy one for you, and you're still at the very top of this division, but we don't know how much longer it will take for you to be able to get back into the, you know, the title mix. Yeah, you know what? I don't know. I really haven't thought about that. Just looking at the fight in front of me. And it's always been, to me, about, you know, fighting the best, trying to be the best. Which, yeah, I think, you know, being the absolute best, you know, I've fallen short of that. But, you know, that's why this fight was so intriguing that I'm still getting to fight a guy at the top like Askar Askarov. Um, So, to me, it's just really about fighting the best and... I got some offers even after my last fight, you know, pretty much right away, you know, well, let's fight this, let's fight then. And you know what? Like I said, since it's been about fighting the best and having fun, I kind of really didn't have either. So I didn't really have a why is to fight that early. And then when I got this fight and it was like, oh, that checked one of the boxes where like, look, all right, I could still fight someone at the top. That's why I'm doing this in the first place. And then I started having fun doing it again, just, you know, taking a little more time and not rushing into a next one. I mean, besides, I think just needing a good rest after the last year that I had anyway. So yeah, to answer the question, that's what got me to take this fight in perfect timing, you know, not rushing it. So I'm just kind of looking forward to this fight. And then after that, as long as I'm having fun and I can fight, you know, guys at the top, um, then that's going to intrigue me. But, you know, there, there's there's no telling. I mean, I could be done with this and be like, you know what? That wasn't fun. Right now I am having fun and I'm fighting a guy at the top. So 
I could get done and be like, oh, that wasn't fun. Don't want to go through another fight week. And, you know, it was a little too this, too that. There's not a right opponent. Or, you know, I could be like, holy crap, that was fun. Can't wait to get back in, in the gym and do it again. So, yeah, just kind of taking it, you know, step by step, this fight first. After the last fight, how much did that sap your love for the sport? Obviously, that's a temporary feeling. But how long did it take for you to get back into a mindset where I'm going to do this again? Yeah, I mean, it took a while, man. It's it's hard. And, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. You know, I've been 15 years, you know, finding the top um, title shots, many of them. Um and then that one was probably, you know, one of the hardest ones as far as disappointment goes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was tough, you know. I mean, it's when you get older and you do this for a while, you already start balancing the sport and, you know, um, putting into it, you know, everything you can while still trying to, like, balance your life. And then, you know, this one happened. I really thought this was the time and it was going to, you know, end perfectly. And when it didn't and it actually ended the opposite of it. I mean, yeah, it was hard. Like I said, I had fights, you know, that fight was in July and I had fights in, you know, September, October. I could have took, but I just I wasn't into it. So and like I'm never one to be like, hey, I need to wait. Like I like getting right back in there and staying active. But. Yeah, so that was about the most it took away, I guess, you know, because you guys know me. I mean, fighting's fighting, life's life. It's just like, you know, I'm not out here constantly um, promoting my fights and doing this and that. So, yeah, but the fact of me just not wanting to get in there, you know, is um, should show how hard it should be, like – you know, you would think after you lose, I think the first thing you want to do is like, oh, I want to get right back in there and erase that out of my memory. And this one was just like, I'm just not ready for that. You know, I just can't find the love. I can't find the joy in it right now since I was so kind of devastating for me. So, yeah, it, it definitely took a toll, you know. Um, weirdly enough, even though it was the last one and one of the hardest, it still maybe wasn't even as tough as is the first loss for a title fight that I ever had, which was the first flyweight title shot ever against DJ when I lost the split decision. For some reason, that one still hurts the most because of everything. But also, I didn't have I didn't have anything to really fall back on at that time. I think, you know, like it was like do or die. That was the only thing that mattered where this one I lost. But it's like I'm still comfortable with myself and my life. And, you know, kind of everything around me. So, you know, it was still tough professionally. But personally, um, you know, I at least have other things to back, fall back on. Where the first one, I felt like that was my whole being and identity and, and, and everything. So, yeah, both tough. I mean, been some tough times in this sport. <laughs> Well, 2020 was a very difficult year for a lot of people with the pandemic and uh, a lot of different things going on. Uh, you had the two losses and you, uh, your brother, unfortunately, also passed away in 2020. Uh, I know you have a lot of outside interests outside of fighting. What were the things that brought you joy last year that, that you could fall back on when you were having a difficult day um, that, that helped get you through it? And I mean, obviously, with Megan and, and your dog, those are kind of the two obvious ones. But outside of that, yeah. what, what are some things that really brought you some joy? 
Well, you know what's funny is um, it's funny when people say 2020 was so crappy, and it was, and I can't even imagine what a lot of the people gone through. But like for me, I was like I I had a damn good opportunity to make 2020 the best my crowning year. You know what I mean? And and that's what's funny is just the perspective it takes is like, damn, it ended up being crappy. But that's what's that's why we're lucky in this fight. Nothing's ever in this game and nothing's ever too bad is like we make the choice to do this. Like some people don't have a choice and you know, you're diagnosed with this, your business closes, you can't keep this up. Like they don't have a choice in twenty twenty or sometimes anytime, even just the choice of being where you're born, you know, who you're born to, all that stuff. Like I get the choice every day to go out and I know the risks that are involved. So, you know, I had a, I had a great chance to make 2020 the best year ever and it didn't really work out for me. But, um, other than that, the other things that kept me joy, man, watching movies, keep a, uh, if you guys follow me on Instagram, you know, I start a log of doing all my movies um, that I watch and I rank them. And that actually adds a lot of fun to my life. And um, just, you know, I realized, like, you might be able to relate to this is, you know, you're talking to me, we're talking about MMA, you're doing your interviews, but I think a big joy in life is just talking to people about shit that you like to talk about, (laughs) you know? So you're talking to me about, you know, and everybody else about the sport and MMA. And, you know, so when I'm just like, when I can talk to someone about just like all the movies I watch and whether they care or not, it feels good. So just my little movie log I started, that actually is nice. Um, that's really fun. And then just, what else? What else is there? Um, pretty much entertainment in general, family, coffee, um, just all the basic stuffs that people, you know, when you're, I guess, 36 years old do. I would say traveling, but we haven't been able to do much of that, even though I was fortunate enough to go to Mexico twice this year. And I had a really good trip there, actually, the Yucatan Peninsula. That kind of, um, that kind of, uh, you know, took the sting away for a while. We went up to uh, some pretty cool places there that we hadn't been. Um, so we did get to do a little travel and then just friends and family in general are always nice, you know. Well, it's uh, nice to see you have uh, such a, a strong outlook. That's what that's what I think everybody loves about you is you're able to take the bad and kind of break it down into segments and figure out what's good about it, which I think is, is a real gift that you have because not a lot of people can uh, can see the, the sunny side of things. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's what choice do we have is, you know, talking it, which you got to do for a little bit but eventually you got to kind of change the race you know and you got to flip it around and um change your perspective on things and and look at other things you know um can always be worse like even you know like a simple thing for me just going back to that characteristic is when someone asks me how i'm doing you know i could be tired or whatever and not being the best and i think the natural thing to say would be ah I've been better, you know, but every time I even think of saying that, I just say, yeah, no matter how tired I am, I say, you know what? I've been worse. And then they're like, oh, okay. So you're doing good. I'm like, yeah, like I've been worse. And I think that's just, it's just a good perspective to keep. So someone asks me, you know, even if I'm not feeling good, I just say, yeah, I've been worse. 
And it's just like that way, if you can keep that in your mind, it's just like it's, you're not doing that bad, even if you're doing bad, because you've always been worse. And, you know, to think about, you know, just other people and, you know, like I said, just having choices and not choices and like, you know what, you can always be worse. So we're blessed. It was interesting to me to see that both you and Dominic Cruz are on the undercard of, uh, of this event. Uh, two OGs. I think your first title shot ever was against Dominic Cruz. Uh, do you guys have yeah. any sort of kin- kinship together? You know what? Like, we don't, like, talk or text or, like, go bowling together or anything like that. But whenever we see each other, I mean, we have a very mutual respect. And we always, you know, chop it up, you know, and and talk about some stuff we you know we uh yeah we we get along i think it's one of those things like with anybody um fighting's a very intimate thing trying to you know add and take like kind of what you give each other in there um what you take away what you're trying like there's so much going on so even if you don't like someone or don't have a relationship with them it's like fighting is such a language it's such a like there's love you know there's obviously like hate and everything in it too but i think when you're just done there's something just like i said very intimate about it that like you could have not you don't talk the whole time when you're fighting you might have not talked before that but when you're done with the fight you know like we went through some shit together you know so that's kind of how me and dominic are so we actually can talk quite a bit as well so every time we see each other we talk she he sometimes worked with megan as well so you know um back when we used to do fights and you know when i'm off duty you know i go help megan around and take her stuff and wait for her after the fight so me and dominic would always talk stuff after the fights when him and megan were working together and um you know even like with Sahudo, like me and him never talk but we just have a different attitude towards each other after we kind of you know, gave each other pieces of each other in a way. So it's always nice. And with Dominic, he's cool and always very interesting, you know, to talk to and intelligent as well. So it's always, it's always nice. Yeah. It'd be cool to see him. Speaking of working with Megan, is that something you'd like to do in the future? I feel like if you were at the desk, it would be perfect for you. You're great at assessing things as they happen and kind of, you know, taking, taking something and expanding on it making it easier and more digestible for the people that, w- that are watching yeah you know what i actually wouldn't mind um doing something like that you know um yeah like i mean it's it's funny you know because in i do have a ton of other interests i would like to do but in a way it's like i guess i'm an mma expert i've done it long enough and at the top so it's like if i'm going to talk about anything shouldn't it be that you know, not just talking about movies and whatever the hell else I talk about. So, yeah, it seems like something that would make sense um, to me for sure. And that would be cool. But I think just something in general with with the UFC, whether it's not that, you know, which I think would be cool. But I'm a utility man, you know. I can kind of do it all. So I would like to do that. But I would also like to do a ton of other things, you know, and potentially see myself adding value to the UFC is like an employee of some sort, you know, um, if you know me at the PI, I'm like a mayor at the PI. I have a really good relationship with all the employees, um, there and in general. And I think a lot of that has to do with 
they're kind of family since my wife works with them like half the staff and everything was at our wedding but i'd like to do something like that but also um i would like to to add other things like i would actually like to have kind of like a liaison role for the outfitting and and the fighter you know kind of like the in-between between you know the ufc and the outfitter and kind of help that whole um business be a little more um you know accessible and friendly for all the fighters and you know stuff like that with the outfitting um company and then i think there's a ton of other things i can actually just add to it as well but on top of doing some desk stuff i think would be really fun too yeah, I think utility, uh, man, is a very good way of describing yourself. You're, you're a five-tool player in the cage and outside of the cage as well with, uh, with all of your various interests. Um, so um, when, you, when you do look ahead to five, six uh, years down the line, do you have um, anything in mind of any businesses you'd want to start, anything along those lines? Or um, you know, where would you like to be in five or six years? Because I'm guessing that uh, at age 42, you're probably going to want to be retired from this sport. Yeah, I mean, I have a podcast, Aaron. That we just I know about. I listened to it it's so, great so I'm a podcast guy now um you know I guess you make livings off of that even though we're just doing it for fun but no um that's fun but I think to me it's just about it's just about following interests and passion you know that's how I came to this anyway and this has brought so many riches to my life obviously the sport of fighting and like we've already talked about the heartbreaks, but the amount of just, you know, um, riches it brought through everything, um, through the people I've met, the experience I've been able to have, the um, the challenges I've been able to face and overcome, um, all that has been great. And that all came from a passion and just a love of something. So the way I look at it is, you know, I've worked hard enough doing this fight game that I don't have to rush into anything you know I want to be able to you know I've worked hard enough to be able to give me a few years to be like let me find something I'm passionate about something I enjoy doing and look I didn't become you know a successful fighter that was able to pay for myself and have a house and a family and all that overnight so you know that took years as well to kind of establish so that's kind of the same way i'm looking at the next chapter is you know i've done this long enough to be able to give me some years just to be like hey i don't need to rush into anything and find this and get a quick paycheck like let me find something i'm passionate about that's kind of what it's all about for me is just um looking for something that i genuinely care about and you know it could be something with the sport something as easy as like hey i can go talk about the sport and then my expertise here or do something like I just mentioned, like with the outfitting or just the UFC in general and the PI, which I'm a big like proprietor of as well. Um, stuff like that. So yeah, it could be as simple as that, but like I said, just something that'll, that's going to bring me joy and riches and kind of all aspects, not just something like I said, I've worked hard enough to not be like, well, damn it. It's time to go. Um, you know, whatever it may be, just get a job, you know, um, want to, um, be able to find something that I love and enjoy. And that's going to bring me happiness after, after fighting. Cause 
like I said, my fighting and this lifestyle has brought me um, a lot of happiness. So not trying to go backwards necessarily. You mentioned your podcast, At Home with Ben Olivi. Uh, I love listening to it because when I'm at uh, an event, and I haven't been at one in about a year, which is heartbreaking for me, but one of the things I love about it is being backstage with you and Megan and talking about non-MMA-related stuff because it really calms my nerves yes. before I go and start talking about MMA-related stuff. I, I don't like yeah. having my mind on it because I start to overthink things. So getting to hear you guys talk about the stuff that we kind of talk about when I'm with you, it really, uh, you know, it's been, it's been nice for me, and I'm sure it's been nice for you guys to be able to put that, out, that side of your, yourselves out there. Yeah, yeah, it is nice, you know. I mean, it's really cool because I think people are going to tune in because they know us from MMA, but, you know, I think they'll shortly realize, like, oh, shoot, they're humans just like us. Like, they like watching stuff, and they send each other DMs of ridiculous memes and get obsessed with weird shit and listen to music that I like and um, and everything like that. Like, I feel a few of the podcasts have literally been entertainment podcasts. And sometimes I'm done and I could have been like, damn, that could have been an e-news podcast, you know, or something like that. And it's like even us in fighting, we can't just live and breathe fighting all day. So I have a feeling our fans also have other interests. They don't just sit there and watch Fight Pass all day. I'm sure that's not the only app on their TV. So it's really cool to be able to do that. Like I said, it's stuff that we like talking about together. So to do it with people and see if they have an interest is really cool. And um, it's funny you mentioned about the nerves thing, just even from your um, role, because that's exactly how I am. And Megan makes fun of me all the time. She always says, especially when I get close to my fight, that I have to sh kind of shift all my attention and focus to something else that it seems like I shouldn't be. But that's kind of how I deal with like, you know not thinking about this fight, this fight is happening. What's my weight? What's, what's this? What's that? What's he doing? So it's like right now it's like home decor. Like <laughs> we just redid our bathroom and then it's like, Oh, so now my house needs a whole new overhaul, not a whole new overhaul, but just like I need a plant here, a freaking mirror here, just a new vanity in the guest room or a new art here instead of this one that I'm tired of looking at a new side table. And she and it's just funny because it's the, it's the same thing you talk about is like so instead of putting my nerves towards like I go home and I'm just like, oh, do I watch like another fight? Do I like study this? I'm like, oh, what pillow is going to look nicer on this bed? Oh, what mirror is going to look good? So it's like I shift my attention there. There's always the movie and the music and stuff to fall out and then other real life stuff like taxes and everything. But yeah, it's the same thing as I always like to shift my focus on something else because the fight's coming. And it's going to be intense and hard. And, you know, you're going to have that like it's coming no matter what you do about it, you know, and it's going to be tough and uncomfortable no matter how much you think about it. So I kind of feel like why make it more, you know, stressing. So I always <laughs> the same thing, kind of like you mentioned with the podcast, I always pick something else to kind of, you know, put my immediate focus on when i get close because i'm like the fight's here and there's there's not a way out of not thinking about that like i'm training half the damn day you know six days out of the week and then now the fight's going to be here so let's like let me think about something else and it's it's kind of refreshing like you just said i'm sure you can you can um you can like you said you can back me on that as well <laughs> 
I'm glad we could spend the latter part of this interview talking about non-fight-related stuff because now it feels like we haven't been talking about fight-related stuff, which is good because now your mind's off of it. Yeah. But <laughs> you'll be in the cage next week. Uh, Askar Askarov yourself. Uh, really looking forward to it. It'll be on TSN in Canada. It's very rare to see you uh, on a televised part of the, uh, the, the uh, event. You're usually on the pay-per-view, so that's refreshing. And uh, I appreciate your time as always. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. A huge thank you to our guests, the Lioness, Amanda Nunez, Aljamain Sterling, Dominic Cruz, Joseph Benavides, and thank you for tuning in. This has been uh, uh, always fun to do these interviews, get them out to you. I hope you enjoy them as much as I enjoy doing them. And uh, the one thing I ask in return, and I keep saying this, and uh, hopefully you hear this and this message doesn't fall on deaf ears, the show is free. We don't have any ads on it. We'd like, we'd like to keep it that way. Uh, of course, if an advertiser comes to the table, we're certainly not going to turn them away. But what we'd really like from you is a review. Go on iTunes. Give us four stars. Five stars, even. would prefer five stars, now that I think about it. First, I thought it was up to four stars, but I think five stars you can give. Five-star review. Some nice words about the show. What do you like about it? Why, why everybody should listen to it. Why it's your favorite show on planet Earth. And why these interviews are better than the ones you hear elsewhere. If that's something you believe. Of course, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. But thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with more interviews on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. Appreciate you tuning in. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.